You're listening to Lateral Media. A heap of broken images where the sun beats and the dead tree gives no shelter, the cricket no relief, and the dry stone no sound of water. Only there is shadow under this red rock. Come in under the shadow of this red rock, and I will show you something different from either your shadow in the morning striding behind you, or your shadow at evening rising to meet you. I will show you fear in a handful of dust. T.S. Eliot, The Wastelands Hello everyone and welcome back to my podcast. My name is Monica, this is SBC and this is another episode of Reading King. Today I'm going to be talking about my experience reading The Wastelands for the third time. The Wastelands is the third book on the Dark Tower series. It is, in my opinion, the first book in the series that is actually crazy good. It came out in 1991 and it is from this point forward that the plot gets really thick and we begin to have a better idea of what's happening. This episode contains a ton of spoilers, so don't listen to it if you have yet to read the book. And also, this is only part one. It's a huge book, so I've decided to split the episode into two parts. This is the part in which I recap what's happened so far in this series and discuss the first half of the book. I hope you like it and stay tuned for part two. To recap, this is what's been up with Roland so far. I'm using the argument written by Stephen King himself to recap the story since there was no episode about books one and two here on the podcast. In The Gunslinger, which is the first volume of the series, Roland is presented as the last gunslinger in a world which has moved on. He is crossing the desert, pursuing a figure, a man in black, and at the end of that book he catches up with him. This man in black is a sorcerer named Walter, who pretended to be an ally and a friend to Roland's father back when Midworld was still holding strong. Roland doesn't want to get to Walter because he seeks revenge or anything like that, although Walter is his enemy. He wants to catch him because that's just another thing he has to do to find and reach the Dark Tower, which is a literal tower that stands in the nexus of time. 
Now, this is all very abstract, and this is one of the main reasons why the gunslinger is considered to be so bad by many people. But it gets better, things get more material in the wastelands. It's clear from the first book, though, that Roland is a kind of knight, one of those charged with holding or possibly redeeming a world that he remembers as being filled with love and light. We also understand that the Man in Black was instrumental in the fall of Gilead, which is where Roland is from, and that his world is somehow related to our world. At a way station on a long deserted coach road running through the desert, Roland meets a boy named Jake who died in our world. A boy who was in fact pushed from a mid-Manhattan street corner and into the path of an incoming car. Jake Chambers died with the men in black peering down at him and awoke in Roland's world. Before they reach the men in black, Jake dies again. This time because the gunslinger, faced with the second most agonizing choice of his life, elects to sacrifice the symbolic son. Given a choice between the tower and the child, Roland chooses the tower. Jake's last words to the gunslinger before plunging into the abyss are Go then, there are other worlds than these. In the final confrontation between Roland and Walter, the man in black tells Roland's future with a deck of tarot cards. Three strange cards are called specially to Roland's attention. The prisoner, the lady of the shadows, and death, but not for him. The second volume, The Drawing of the Three, then begins on the edge of the Western Sea not long after Roland's confrontation with Walter has ended. An exhausted gunslinger awakes in the middle of the night to discover that the incoming tide has brought a horde of crawling creatures, lobstrosities, with it. Before he can escape their attack, Roland loses the first two fingers of his right hand to them. He's also poisoned by the venom of the lobstrosities, and as he resumes his journey north along the edge of the Western Sea, he is sickening, perhaps dying. Roland finds three doors standing freely upon the beach. Each door opens, only for him, and leads him to our world. To New York, to be precise. So Roland visits New York at three points along our time continuum, both in an effort to save his own life and to draw the three who must accompany him on his road to the tower. Eddie Dean is the prisoner, a heroin addict from the New York of the late 1980s. Roland steps through the door on the beach of his world and into Eddie Dean's mind as Eddie serving a man named Enrico Balazar as a cocaine mule lands at JFK airport. The whole scene reminds me of Charlie from Lost trying to get rid of the drugs he was carrying while in the plane. It's literally the same vibe. Roland helps Eddie out and manages to bring him in a limited quantity of penicillin back to the beach. Eddie, a junkie who discovers he has been kidnapped to a world where there is no junk, is less than overjoyed to be there. The second door leads Roland to the Lady of the Shadows, actually two women in one body. This time Roland finds himself in the New York of the early 1960s, and face-to-face -face with a young, black, wheelchair-bound civil rights activist named Odetta Holmes. The woman hidden inside Odetta is the crafty and hate-filled Odetta Walker. When this double woman is pulled into Roland's world, 
The results are volatile for Eddie and the rapidly sickening gunslinger. Odetta believes that what's happening to her is either a dream or a delusion, and Detta, a much more brutally direct intellect, simply dedicates herself to the task of killing Roland and Eddie, whom she sees as torturing white devils. Jack Mort, a serial killer hiding behind the third door, the New York of the mid-1970s, is death. Mort has twice caused great changes in the life of Odetta Holmes, Detta Walker, although neither of them knows it. Mort, whose modus operandi is to either push his victims or drop something on them from above, has done both to Odetta during the course of his mad career. When Odetta was a child, he dropped a brick on her head, sending the little girl into a coma and also occasioning the birth of Detta Walker. Years later, in 1959, Mort encounters Odetta again and pushes her into the path of an uncommon subway train. Odetta survives Mort again, but the oncoming train severed both her legs at the knee. To Roland's eye, this interrelationship suggests a power greater than mere coincidence. He believes the titanic forces which surround the Dark Tower have begun to gather once again. Roland learns that Mort may stand at the heart of another mystery as well, one which is also a potentially mind-destroying paradox. For the victim Mort is talking at the time the gunslinger steps into his life is none other than Jake, the boy Roland met at the way station and lost under the mountains. Roland has never had any case to doubt Jake's story of how he died in our world or any cause to question who Jake's murderer was, the man in black, Walter, of course. Jake saw him dressed as a priest as the crowd gathered around the spot where he lay dying and Roland has never doubted the description. Nor does he doubt it now. Walter was there, no doubt about that. But suppose it was Jack Mort, not Walter who pushed Jake into the path of the incoming Cadillac. Is such a thing possible? Roland can't say, not for sure, but if that is the case, where is Jake now? Dead? Alive? Caught somewhere in time? And if Jake Chambers is still alive and well in his own world of Manhattan in the mid-1970s, how is it that Roland still remembers him? Despite this confusing and possibly dangerous development, the test of the doors and the drawing of the three ends in success for Roland. Eddie Dean accepts his place in Roland's world because he has fallen in love with the Lady of the Shadows. Detta Walker and Odetta Holmes are driven together into one personality, combining elements of both Detta and Odetta when the gunslinger is finally able to force the two personalities to acknowledge each other. This hybrid is able to accept and return Eddie's love. Odetta Susanna Holmes and Detta Susanna Walker thus become a new woman, a third woman, Susanna Dean. Jack Moore dies beneath the wheels of the same subway train which took Odetta's legs 15 or 16 years before. And for the first time in untold years, Roland of Gilead is no longer alone in his quest for the Dark Tower. Cuthbert and Elaine, his lost companions, have been replaced by Eddie and Susanna, and The Wastelands takes up the story of these three on the face of Midworld some months after the confrontation by the final door on the beach. They have moved some fair way inland. 
the period of rest is ending and a period of learning has begun. Susanna is learning how to shoot, Eddie is learning how to carve, and the gunslinger is learning how it feels to lose one's mind a piece at a time. The Wastelands is divided into two parts. Book one is titled Jake, Fear and a Handful of Dust, and it is made up of three parts, Bear and Bone, Key and Rose, and Door and Demon. Book two is titled Blood, A Heap of Broken Images, and it is also made up of three parts, Town and Katad, Bridge and City, and Riddle and Wastelands. I'm going to talk about each one of them, starting with book one, Jake, Fear in a Handful of Dust. Part one, Bear and Bone. Some months after the end of the drawing of the three, Roland, Eddie, and Susanna have tracked 60 miles or more inland, moving further away from the Western Sea and into the woods of Outworld. We learn that Roland, physically recovered from the Lovestrosities infection, has been training Eddie and Susanna to become gunslingers themselves. He's been teaching them how to shoot, how to hunt for food, and how to use their senses to survive in the wild. Susanna is proving to be a very good shoot, while Eddie has rediscovered his hobby of wood carving, which is going to be relevant to the plot later on. Right at the beginning of the book, while Roland and Susanna are out on a shooting lesson and Eddie is at their camp, a massive bear shows up to attack Eddie, and Susanna is able to shoot it and save her lover. Turns out the bear is not really a bear. Its name was Shardik, and it was a cyborg made by a company called North Central Positronics Limited. Shardik went down because Susanna managed to shoot a radar dish that was placed on top of its head, but they later find that the bear had been sick, probably for a very long time. It sneezed while it was attacking Eddie, and a bunch of maggots came out of him mixed with snot. And they also see maggots inside of him later. It's pretty gruesome. But after Shardik is down, Roland decides to track the path of destruction the bear left when he was spurting toward their camp. His idea is to get to the place where Shardik lived and then move from there. Because Shardik is one of the 12 creatures of the beings. It protected its half of the turtle bear beam, and following the beam on a straight line toward the turtle means they are going to find the Dark Tower, which stands in the intersection of all the beams. Let me read you the part where Roland explains this bit. He draws in the dirt what looks to be a clock with X's where the numbers should be, and then he says... Here is the world as I was told it existed when I was a child. The X's are the portals standing in a ring at its eternal edge. If one drew six lines connecting these portals in pairs, do you see where the lines cross in the center? Eddie felt goose flesh crawl up his back and down his arms. His mouth was suddenly dry. Is that it, Roland? Is that... Roland nodded. His long, lined face was grave. At this nexus lies the great portal, the so-called 13th gate which rules not just this world but all worlds. He tapped the center of the circle. Here is the dark tower for which I've searched my whole life. 
So they find the path of the beam. It's described as an invisible line that you can only see if you stand just so and pay attention. It's revealed in the clouds in the sky, in the way the trees and leaves align, in the way the birds divert from their path just a little bit before resuming it. So it's something that's supposed to be very subtle, but that once you see it, you can't unsee it. But yeah, they find a path and continue on their journey. But let's not forget, Roland is slowly losing his mind due to the fact that he saved Jake in book two. So now they, there are two realities fighting to exist in his mind. He has memories of meeting Jake in the desert and later letting him fall to his death under the mountains, but he also has memories of crossing the desert and going under the mountains alone. This is driving him crazy and Eddie and Susanna frequently wake up to him crying in the middle of the night, calling out for Jake. At one point, Roland gives them his gun belt and knife because he doesn't trust himself. I have finally found my course. After all the long years, I have found my course. But at the same time, I seem to be losing my sanity. I can feel it crumbling away beneath my feet like a steep embankment which has been loosened by rain. This is my punishment for letting a boy who never existed fall to his death, and that is also God. One more thing before we close this part, Eddie starts dreaming of the Dark Tower in a sea of roses. In one of these dreams, the shape of a key is revealed to him and he doesn't know how or why, but he knows that that shape will be important for them in the near future. So one night after their meal, he starts carving, careful to get the exact shape of the key he saw in his dream. And since we're talking about Eddie, I just want to say that I absolutely love the details we get about his relationship with Henry in this book. Henry was his older brother. He always took advantage of Eddie and it was because of him that Eddie became a junkie. Henry died in the drawing of the three and it's like now that he's gone and Eddie is sober, he can grieve and at the same time process the toxicity of their relationship. It's painful to read, but it's beautiful stuff. All is silent in the halls of the dead. Eddie heard himself whisper in a falling, fainting voice. All is forgotten in the stone halls of the dead. Behold the stairways which stand in darkness. Behold the rooms of ruin. 
These are the halls of the dead where the spiders spin and the great circuits fall quiet one by one. Part 2, Key and Rose If Roland is losing his mind, imagine how Jake feels knowing that he is alive but shouldn't be. In this part of book 1, we follow Jake as he attends the Piper School, an exclusive institution for intelligent children. He is haunted by the way station where he met the gunslinger, the man in black, and Roland not saving him as he fell. He wants to go back though, he is desperate to go back, because he feels like he belongs in Roland's world now, although he doesn't understand any of it. Jake becomes depressed and obsessed with looking for doors that will lead him back to Midworld. So he starts acting strangely and the adults in his life notice his change in behavior. For his English final assignment, he writes an essay he has no memory of writing. It's named My Understanding of Truth, and it is essentially about Roland, Eddie, and Susanna, whom he hasn't met yet, and a train that goes by the name of Blaine. When he realizes what the assignment he's about to turn in consists of, he manages to cut class and goes walking around Manhattan. Eventually, he ends up at a bookstore, the Manhattan Restaurant of the Mind, where he purchases two books. Charlie the Choo Choo, a children's book about a train, and a book about riddles. Why did he do it? He doesn't know. He just felt like he needed to. After purchasing the books, Jake wanders for a while and something leads him to a vacant lot where he finds a single red rose blooming in the midst of all the rubble. The rose causes him to go into a trance and he sees singing faces on the leaves and a key. He wakes up five hours later, grabs the key and goes back home, where his parents are waiting for him. After reassuring them that he's fine, that he just had a case of finals fever, he reads Charlie the Choo Choo and tries to go to bed. The voices keep him up though, the ones that tell him he's dead, alive, dead, alive. So he grabs the key and as soon as he does it, the voices stop. Tell him, he thought, with no idea who the thought was for. Tell him to grab the key. The key makes the voices go. Part 3, Door and Demon Eddie was almost asleep when a voice spoke clearly in his ear. Tell him to grab the key. The key makes the voices go. 
And that's how King makes it clear that Eddie and Jake are somehow connected. In Jake's dream, he finds himself on a basketball court in Brooklyn, and a teenager tells him to follow him to the portal that will help him cross over to the other world. When Jake wakes up, he gets his books, his father's gun, a box of shells, and instead of going to school, he goes to Brooklyn. He finds the teenager who he saw in his dream, that we know it's Eddie, and follows him to an abandoned haunted house on Dutch Hill. In Midworld, Eddie shows Roland the key that he's carved, and he tells him it's not finished, but that Roland can have it for now, because it will help with the voices, as it does. I think I'm getting ready to die. Roland looked at Eddie. The bright shine left his eyes, and now looking into them was like staring into a pair of deep, dark wells that seemed to have no bottom. Eddie shuddered, more because of that empty stare than because of what Roland had said. And do you know what I hope lies in the clearing where the path ends, Eddie? Roland, silence. Roland said. He exhaled a dusty sigh. Just silence. That will be enough. An end to this. He planted his fists against his temples and Eddie thought, I've seen someone else do that and not long ago. But who? Where? Slowly, Eddie understands he's been sharing Jake's dreams. He remembers Jake from when he was a teenager going to the haunted house on Dutch Hill with his brother, and he tells Roland all of that. But he's really nervous because he knows that Jake is trying to cross over, that that house on Dutch Hill is the portal that will bring him to them, but he understands that the key he's been carving needs to be perfect for Jake's crossover to happen. And he's doubting his work. As he puts it, the kid is trying to come back here. And if the key isn't done when he makes his move, or if it's done wrong, he's probably going to die. The katad continues along the path of the beam, and they can see at a distance the ruins of what was once a big city. Before they reach the city, though, they get to a circle of stones, similar to the one where an oracle almost killed Jake in book one. Eddie senses that this is the area where Jake will come through, and they start preparing for that. There is a monster between the doors, and to Jake it feels like it's the house itself. Indeed, once he enters the haunted house, it starts trying to kill him. And during an incredibly well-written action scene, Jake drops the key through a crack between two ports. Roland speaks to him in his mind, telling him that he can get it back, and he does. Meanwhile, the Oracle is raping Susanna, who is now Detta. So, Roland knew the Oracle might attack them, and he told Susanna that it would use its main weapon, sex, against them. He told her, if it's a female, I'll take it, but if it's male, I'll need you to take one for the team. So, Susanna summoned Dara because she was the most powerful personality against that situation. 
And yeah, the Oracle rapes Zeta, which was not a very fun thing to read this time around. I have to be honest, it bothered me, but that's what happens. So Eddie creates their side of the door by drawing it on the ground and him and Roland are now looking through the keyhole, encouraging Jake as he fights the house. At the last minute, Eddie realizes his key was indeed not finished and there is a panicking moment during which he is able to correct it and they pull Jake through to their side. Roland manages to toss the oracle through the door, saving Susanna, and finally Jake is back to where he belongs. Are your voices gone? Roland nodded. All gone. Yours? Gone. I'm all together again. We both are. They looked at the same instant with the same impulse. As Roland swept Jake into his arms, the boy's unnatural self-possession broke and he began to cry. It was the exhausted, relieved weeping of a child who has been lost long, suffered much, and is finally safe again. As Roland's arm closed about his waist, Jake's own arm slipped about the gunslinger's neck and gripped like hoops of steel. I'll never leave you again, Roland said, and now his own tears came. I swear to you, on the names of all my fathers, I'll never leave you again. Yet his heart, that silent, watchful, lifelong prisoner of Ka, received the words of this promise not just with wonder, but with doubt. This is it! The drawing of Jake is my favorite action sequence Stephen King has written, and I love seeing Jake and Roland together again. If not for the oracle rape, this first half of the book would have been perfect for me. But I had a great time, and we still have the second half of the book to talk about, so I'll see you again whenever part two is ready. Thank you for listening, thank you for following the podcast, and I'll see you next time. Bye! Esta foi uma produção Lateral Media. Se você gostou do programa, talvez você goste do Uma Batata e Uma Coquinha, um podcast em português onde um jogador experiente e uma novata falam sobre jogos. Você também pode gostar do Inglês para Mulheres, um podcast de cursos em áudio onde cada temporada lidará com uma habilidade diferente da língua inglesa. A primeira temporada é sobre writing e está completa e disponível para você. Confira todos os programas em monicasanoli.com.br barra lateral tracinho mídia, M-E-D-I-A, mídia em inglês. Ou clique no link na descrição deste episódio. Obrigada por ouvir.